Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizzen on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And we've got a special guest. It's Steve. Hi, everybody. I'm Steve Green. I'm Steve Brune on the Twitters. I was really hoping you were just going to say Steve, and then we were always going to be like, well, they get it. We assume that you know who Steve is. Steve There's... is a giant insect person who just kind of hangs out on our floor. <laughs> There's only one Steve. He is a figment of our imagination that we believe lives in the office with us because we prefer that reality. Steve, uh, but actually, God, we were, I, I just realized uh, this is episode 126. Um, and we, so which means we, we had made tentative plans for Steve to join us in episode 125 and uh, talk to us. I, 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 th- I think technically the, the plan was for guest stars to oh, come Oh, many guest on, stars. That's on right. On 125. On 125. What was this for? We were going to have that for our 20, 125th podcast. A, a very spe- a, a, a series of very special guests were going to come on. It's, it's still it's still in the works. Is this something works. you two discussed? No, it's. I don't remember this at all. We had very special guests planned, like um, that hypothetically might have also been similar to impressions Steve can do. Oh, I remember now. <laughs> I'm immediately regretting all of this. We were going to have. Special guests. We were going to have special guests. You've got a multiple special guests. Liz, like we're in the office looking at each other. You got to do the air quotes, and then I would have, oh. I would have picked up a lot, a lot quicker. There you go. That's fine. It's on me. It's late in the day on Friday. I'm, I'm not at full speed right now. Yeah, fair enough. You've already broken the fourth wall. Now listeners know exactly when this was recorded. Exactly. We, 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 we tend to make note of the fact that we record before the week before. We always end up at some point in the podcast saying, as you're listening to this on Monday, that would be Sunday. So this aired on the Sunday, last Sunday, the Sunday before this. Now you're listening to it now. So it's this day. Like we walk through it in a very awkward fashion every episode. It's yeah. probably one of our themes. Yeah. It's one of our signature moves. Yeah. It's a staple of the Very Good TV podcast. Now... Guys, I bet you think that we were just rambling incoherently there, and you are A, correct. And B, how dare you. And C, um, it's also thematically appropriate, because what we're talking about today is uh, instances we've noticed lately of like minor scenes within shows and also entire shows that are riffing, literally, we, literally riffing on their own content within the framework of the, the show. Um, this is slightly different. This is different from when, like, say, we talk about celebrities making fun of themselves or their own personas in shows like What Would Diplo Do? Um, though I think one show we're going to be talking about it has kind of both elements to it. Uh, but the inspiration officially is from a scene in Marvel's The Defenders uh, that premiered uh, as you're listening to this last Friday, um, <clears throat> in which one character from one show who might have gotten a lot of criticism during that show's initial premiere over being perhaps a white boy with a lot of privilege gets called out by another character for said privilege. It's pretty fun. Um, it's a it was it's actually one of the best scenes of the season, and uh, but it's not the only time that this has ever happened in the history of television. Fact. I mean, Ben, you were. I said, we should talk about this and that, and then you were like, oh, but there's so many examples, we don't need to make a list. So what's an example? The Comedians. There we go. Great show. One and done. FX comedy staple, starring Billy Crystal and Josh Gad. Um, I loved it. A lot of other critics did not. 
Most people in this room, I believe, did. I'm looking questionably at Steve. I don't know how he feels. I definitely saw an episode <laughs> of that show. <laughs> Great. All right. So we're 100% in this room. Um, Huge fans. I, I did not hate it. <laughs> I can honestly say I did not hate it. But to me, you know, it could have just been – it could have been the, the uh, a personal thing in which I was noticing it more because I was so enveloped in that particular show. But that seemed like a peak for me. That seemed like – we were having a lot of meta references in our culture. They'd all been been coming together. They'd formed into this kind of uh, distinct comedy unto itself. I mean, it wasn't. It was after, but I mean, you've got movies like This Is the End. You've got. I mean, you, there's a lot of things that go on. But when Liz brought up the topic in reference to the Defenders, it to me resonates with something that's happening this weekend, which is the Defenders came out. Uh, and again, this weekend was last weekend. The Defenders came out on Friday. Um, Two new Showtime series, well, existing Showtime series started new seasons on Sunday night, both of which lean heavily into one meta comedy, one meta, I don't know, and I kind of got to figure it out. Um, I don't know if this is a, if we're peaking in the culture again, but it is, I think it's a good, as good a time as any to kind of examine this in terms of what's good about it and what's bad about it, because it's an easy joke. There's, there's always an easy joke to be made in terms of of referencing yourself especially when you're dealing with famous people because it's obvious like it's just a very obvious tactic um but there's an art to doing it really really well and it's not something that's as obvious as it may seem or or to me it's not something that that is easily distinguishable in every case like in every regard um like when liz when you told me about this defender scene which i haven't seen yet um, it sounded very pointed. Like it sounded like it was something where they were very aware of the criticism that had come against Danny Rand, right? Is that? Yeah. Okay. You got it right. I don't know. Um, and they and they incorporated that into the show in order to dissuade criticism of that same fact. Well, I think I mean the way that they put it because I did talk to some of the people involved uh, about about the scene because I was fascinated by it. And I think it was Mike Coulter was saying, uh, Mike, the person doing the calling out of the privileging is uh, Luke Cage, played by Mike Coulter. And Mike Coulter's point was, yeah, if Luke Cage was in a room with a rich boy billionaire who doesn't acknowledge the fact that he comes from a position of power just by virtue of being a white boy with a lot of money, like that's that this is the natural real reaction for that character and he both he and finn jones who plays danny Rand, really responded to the scene in in that respect like they were happy to have really strong centered character work which is you know by the way one of the best things about the defenders is that is the characters and i think that that kind of goes back to when this works and when this doesn't comes down to whether it's rooted in story or character uh, to, to connect it to the world of podcasts as well, uh, I got a chance to talk to Eli Horowitz, the creator of Homecoming, mm. co-creator of Homecoming, and uh, talking about season two, there were a couple lines that he had in the script. David Trimmer is one of the actors on the show. He had a couple lines in the script that explicitly referenced past David Trimmer projects. Oh, wow. And he said that he, at, at some point... Like, run, fat boy, run. <laughs> specifically, there was a Band of Brothers reference that ah. he ended up cutting because he said it just it, it was too distracting. It didn't really serve the purpose of the story. It would have been a nice Easter egg for, for, for fans, but if it's too obvious, then it just it's, it's, it's an obstacle rather than something that's enriching the actual story. Right. Well, I mean, I, I'm curious, too, in regards of... of, of of awareness, I guess, how that kind of plays into it. Because 
sometimes it works just because it's needed. Like it's a needed tactic to kind of acknowledge something that's out in the culture or that's that's part of your show and to work against it. And then sometimes it's actually built into the show itself. So like Homecoming is not something that relies on meta references whatsoever. So to see that as a distraction is like, okay, yeah, makes perfect sense. I don't want to pull anybody out of this completely fictional story that we've created. Um, in a show like Episodes, it's it's the opposite. Like you've got... <laughs> You've got Matt LeBlanc starring as Matt LeBlanc in an ongoing series about Matt LeBlanc's life. And the primary uh, protagonists are two writers who come over from Britain who are very, very, very loosely based on the two creators of, of the actual show episodes. And they're trying to get this this show that they made in Britain remade in the United States and the travails they go through uh, <laughs> with the networks are what's really funny. There's this biting satire that that goes after the entertainment industry, specifically TV. Um, But then there's also a lot of meta humor related to Matt LeBlanc because he's playing off of the image that we have of Matt LeBlanc and creating this character um, who, by season five, which is their final season, which is the one that's that's just started airing, which I cannot recommend highly enough, um, we've been with Matt long enough where we've kind of seen the darkness well up within him and, like, how... (laughs) how bottomed out his soul has become because of the industry that he's in. Like you're seeing in parent, like in in stark contrast, you're seeing these two writers who are coming in fresh and and being taken over and ruined by the system. And then you're also seeing the person they're trying to work with who's been ruined for so long. And he's just content in a weird way and living there, but he's also being forced to reexamine human qualities within himself that have been long dormant. And a lot of it is saying those are gone. They've been extinguished. He doesn't have them anymore, which is extremely funny, but also a little bit sad and also very well orchestrated by the show. But more to the point, the acknowledgement is there from the beginning. Like, you you know that's part of the show going into it. And if you don't know it's part of the show, you're going to know it by the end of the first episode. Like, it's just, it's baked in. But so then there's other shows where when they do bring it in and when they don't becomes the question. Well, with episodes, how... It feels like, uh, you know, the, it started out just kind of like your basic, like, Hollywood satire. But has has the level of meta-ness escalated since uh, since its beginning? I don't think so. I, I, it's always been very meta. I mean, it, even in terms of the, the... I'm just saying, like, has it increased given, like, things like, say, Man with a Plan? No. Like, they don't... One, Man with a Plan, I'm... I'm pretty sure was made after they were done. They've been done with the final season for a very, very long time. Really? Um, this is Matt LeBlanc's CBS sitcom. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Steve, and I hope that most of you don't. Um, so so they definitely, they've been talking about it. They've I think they had a conversation with LeBlanc about it when he signed on to it. There was a lot of, I wrote an article when I reviewed Man with a Plan referencing how episodes had already foreshadowed this was... A disaster on the horizon, but uh, no, I, 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 this is that's not their focus. They're not so much specifically attacking anything related to Matt LeBlanc, other than Matt LeBlanc, his image and right. and this character that they've created and the industry that has created this character. Um, I don't think it's gotten more meta in that regard. Uh, it definitely takes on topics that come up in the industry like he they definitely shift from point to point to acknowledge things that are going on and and laugh at the reasons that people get into things and and i mean uh, he's hosting a game show like matt leblanc hosting a game show seems like a fairly pointed reference that i'm not going to 
point to who he's who he'd be referencing. But if you even just look at the people, and then look at some so award-winning no, famous actor who's currently hosting a game show, even their appearances look similar. Like there's there's very direct references, and but it's it's never something where they're trying to call out it's it's not as blatant as something like this is the end it's it's still general even when they decide to get pointed wait hold on um within the context of episode season five matt leblanc's hosting a game show season four season four okay. and five yeah great thank you just clarifying that it seems like like this leblanc arc on this show is is like kind of at least is a a cousin if not a direct sibling of sandler in funny people um, kind of, if that's if that's no, somewhat I, accurate. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't compare the tones. Um, Funny People is much more of a straight tragedy to mm-hmm. me, um, whereas Episodes is is much more satirical and much funnier and and much more jovial about who Matt LeBlanc, the character, is on the show. Um, but there is that kind of. There, there are those references. They're building a new world, like, as the show's going on and referencing a previous one before it started. So, like, Friends exists in the episode world, and they talk about Friends all the time, and it's pretty funny. David Schwimmer guest starred on Friends, or on episodes, um, and it was very, very funny. <laughs> but they don't necessarily... They don't necessarily go as pointed about new things that are happening once it's, it's already begun. It's interesting, then, that, like, TV is is sort of giving you the... The value of of letting actors play themselves and 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 sort of uh, undercut their public image, which is something that Liz, you talked with Vanderbeek about, right? Uh, because he did that on on Don't Trust the Bee before he did Diplo. Yeah, and I mean he and he got that gig because he was if if, if I think I talked we talked about this before on the podcast, but I, I still really love the fact that he only got the Don't Trust the Bee gig after doing a bunch of parodies of himself for Funny or Die. Like it was, it was, it was a direct correlation, but yeah, I mean, I think, and the thing he said about playing himself and what he learned about that, and then transferring that to playing Diplo is just, you know, the level of skin you have to develop, and like the ability you have, the ability you have to gain to, you know, poke fun at yourself. Um, but I mean, I feel like you're talking a lot about character meta commentary in that respect. Uh, but Steve, one of the reasons you're in here, aside from the pleasure of your company is that uh, you mentioned Rick and Morty in this context, and I'm curious, like for you, what does that mean? Well, I, I, that that's a show that's built on multiple timelines, and the the possibility that every character exists in mo- in many different universes. So, the fact that they've woven that into the fabric of the show, it would almost be it almost be a dereliction of duty on their part to not sort of examine what. What what the events of this show have done to these characters in all their other forms, mm-hmm. um, and and I think one of the things that uh, I mean don't get me wrong I, I I love the show I think it's I think it's great I think one of the reasons it's season three has maybe not hit quite the same place for me is that the 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 self referential humor of the show mm-hmm. is missing that a- added extra layer that the first two seasons did. Um, the the even the the surprise season premiere that came in, uh, it, it was it was it's referencing events that happened in the pilot. It's 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 taking plot threads from past episodes and kind of reworking them. 
and I wonder if if the show sort of continues to kind of stack on the looping back in on itself, that it'll kind of lose what made it fun in the first place. Mm, and that it's is not, a good it's, point. It's not just enough to sort of call out and say, like, hey, remember this funny thing that we did? Uh, I feel with this show in particular, uh, I feel like so much of what powers that show comes down to what the people behind it find funny. Mm-hmm. And... And I wonder if, if there's starting to be a little bit of a disconnect between what the show's creators find funny and then what their audiences find funny. Well, because, I mean, I feel like the thing with Rick and Morty is that the, I feel like a lot of its fans really buy into the world and really engage with, like, it on a character level. Like, you know, it's a real thing for them. They both, they, it's, it's not, like, just two dudes fucking around, uh, which may or may not reflect the actual reality of the situation. Uh, I mean, Community was always really interesting in that regard, speaking of Dan Harmon's previous projects, because, you know, every once in a while it got really meta. Like, you know, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean about last season? That was a gas leak. Um, like, that joke was awkward. Um, and, you know, did, like, kind of add almost too much of an self-aware too much self-awareness uh to you know the level of the show we were expecting like yeah it undercut the investment that you'd made and what had already happened yeah. very quickly i mean like it's, i think like probably the best another really clear example of this was with the paintball episodes where they had this amazing first set paintball episode and then they somehow not only put too much pressure on themselves to recreate to kind of top that but then they started saying in the lead up to that sequel to the paintball episodes, we aren't going to top last time. And they actually kind of did. Like it was a, a very significant episode, but then like basically there's the 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 heaping of expectations that some of which they put on themselves, some of which definitely came from the audience, um, really ended up, I think, confusing things and making me feel like, oh, I shouldn't engage with this because it's probably not gonna be good. And and going back and watching the first two seasons of Rick and Morty prepare for this season, uh, season two has a has a sort of a, a, a second version of their kind of uh, the the first season's episode is called sixty minutes. It's it's kind of a, a series of gags, the inter, interdimensional cable setup basically. Hmm. Uh, in season two, at the very beginning, Rick says, "I feel like we pretty much nailed it the first time," and uh, and and I think watching that second version of it, you do kind of realize that. That it, it, the the format's great, but without that sort of spark of, I'm seeing something new for the first time, it does kind of lose that edge. And getting called to recognize that fact kind of maybe undercuts the show a little bit in 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 watching it. Yeah. Well, I have a question for you guys in relation to all of this nonsense, <laughs> and it is related to a show that I imagine most people don't know exists. Or if they did know it exists, they probably thought it was over. But it's not over, and it's called Dice. Oh, Dice. Dice is a Showtime series about Andrew Dice Clay, played by Andrew Dice Clay, as he currently exists. He is a... Washed up. Washed up is a kind way of putting it, even from his own perspective this season. Stand-up comedian from who, who was a superstar in the 1980s um, and, and fell rather quickly from grace was great in blue jasmine and then exactly he's had he's had a little bit of a resurgence in certain areas uh, especially blue jasmine that got him the best press he's had in in a long amount of time and even season one it wasn't trashed by any means but it 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 was a 
mixed reaction that led to not a lot of buzz and not a lot of further commentary. But the Atrium Prodi episode was fun. Yeah, a lot of the episodes were fun. I, I, yeah. But what was interesting about watching the first season to me was that I didn't know what they were trying to say with it. There was a lot of stuff that seemed to be critical about who Dice had become and what people perceived him to be. Um, but it wasn't overly so. And his character wasn't that aware of it. And his character was dealing with things in a way where when he's very much... He's, he's not the showrunner, he's not the writer, but he's the figure. And because of his control over it in, in that regard, it was very hard to determine where the line was. And it's even more confine, confounding in season two. Um, the first episode of season two of Dice opens with, <laughs> I'm not kidding, it's called It's a Miserable Life, and it's a, it's a Wonderful Life knockoff. Um, you were, you, I remember asking, you were watching it, and you were like, I can't figure out what's happening here. And I'm like, how many minutes into the episode are you? You said 15. Yeah, it's halfway horrified. through it. It's a half-hour series. And I, it, it was one of those things where it had enough of an opening. Like, it, its opening was of him sitting with um, the, the casino owner talking about how uh, he was in debt, and he'd been doing so many shows to pay off his gambling debts, and he broke even, basically. Like, he, he didn't get paid for doing 25 shows. He just... Kind of got back to where he was supposed to be, but it wasn't. It barely ended on a joke. They cut to titles, then they go to this other thing, and then like eventually, a rabbi yells at him, and says that the world would have been a better place if you were never in it. And this shocks Dice to his core. Like he's 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 taken aback by this, and he goes to sleep. He wakes up, and he's in a hotel, and he's a completely different guy. And he never became a stand-up comedian. He got a he got a very boring job in. Fuck, it's not textiles, but it was something with fabrics, like where he's just a, a business guy. He's been there for 35 years, and he's in Las Vegas uh, like to make a big sale and to celebrate how long he's been there with the company. He's got a very, very average life, but he's successful. Um, he's got a wife. He's got two kids. Uh, but he goes to the office every day, and he's trying to figure out if it's good or bad. But one of the big things that happens in the episode is he's sitting there in the bar. He finds his, his the wife from reality and he's talking to her trying to convince her that they were married in another life and he wants to talk to her about it and on the tv it says that hillary clinton won the presidency wow so dice is actively imagining a better world where hillary clinton is the president and he because he didn't exist he's taking some sort of blame for donald trump's presidency which Knowing his comedy, like knowing how aggressively sexual and masculine it was, you can definitely make connections between Dice's overt uh, Diceness. Yes, great adjective, Steve. Um, and 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 the kind of perception of Donald Trump that makes people so disgusted, that pisses everybody off, and that's gross and wrong. But there's also this giant ego to it, where it's saying like, if if, if I didn't exist. I did this. <laughs> I, I'm taking blame. So he's on the one hand, you're you're feeling so much guilt. Like on the one hand, you can see that he's he's just overwhelmed with guilt. He's really trying to process this. And on the other hand, kind of the end of the episode, it makes a half-assed case for it's okay. Like it's like even if he would have done this other route and been more of a normal guy and not had like a big impact on a bigger impact on our culture. Um, people close to him still wouldn't have been as well off or uh, he there still would have been problems. Um, but he never really comes to terms with some of those bigger things 
or the fact that he's admitting that a lot of his life is better, like a lot of the aspects of his life are better. So what I kind of came down to was Dice reminds me of Tony Soprano. And the thing about The Sopranos that was interesting was that you watched a mobster go to therapy and expose these really vulnerable elements of him. And the discussions with the therapist were what really drove the show because you hadn't really seen that before. That was very new. Very, It was, it was a, a very relevant twist without ruining the uh, basic appeal of mob stories. So that, that was still there too. But I think in Dice, we're the therapist. He doesn't have a therapist per- character because I don't think he's able to process it properly. I don't think he's, he knows what to do with all these emotions. So I think you're sitting there as the audience member and you're the one deciding what, how to judge Andrew Dice Clay. Like, what's wrong with him and what his punishment should be. He's, he's asking you to diagnose him, basically. Yeah, because he doesn't know. I don't think he's I don't think he's even aware of that idea. But a lot of his like the first two episodes, the plots resolve in a way in which I don't think he knows what to do with this information. But I am 90 percent sure that at least the character, if this is if this is at all, you know, the character for sure, if this is all based on the real guy, then the real guy, too, is very depressed. You know, you know what I have to say to that? Oh, you did it, Liz. You did it. I've been holding that in for like five minutes. It's <laughs> very helpful. So, 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 so but no. You, so, I think. I think. Sorry. That is a fascinating. That is a fascinating analysis. I think, and it speaks to I think why meta why meta commentary like this can be really helpful because, like you said, it is trying to sort out problems in 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 some in an environment perhaps where the the creator or the star in this case like feels safe but i don't know if that's i don't know if that's a good thing like to me a lot of the value of the meta commentary and comedy specifically is because it's got a target and it knows what it's trying to accomplish and it goes after it and that's the best kind like episodes knows exactly what it's doing when it's when it's operating in this realm because this guy because dice doesn't know what it's doing doesn't know what its target is doesn't know what its point is and it's asking that of the audience it's it's somewhat fascinating it makes for an interesting viewing experience but I don't know if it's rewarding to anyone else. Like it's also, it goes back to that ego where it's all about dice. Like you're just being asked to watch because you're kind of interested in this guy and figuring out what's going on with him. But I don't think you're meant to learn anything about yourself. Like the the, the lessons don't seem universal. The the sat, There's not really satire there. Um, there's not really something there going after. And it's not really that funny. Like it's 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 a half hour comedy, quote unquote, but it's another one of those comedy dramedy things. Like you know, it wants to be a Louis. Like that's what it's trying to do. But I mean, it's not, it doesn't have that kind of awareness. So like it's it's got the meta value of a lot of these shows, but it doesn't have the awareness. It's very strange. So I I don't I'm kind of curious if you see value in this. Like if you see like other than. Like, so you yeah, see TV. value in your analysis or value in uh, Dice the Show? In Dice the Show, as described via my probably contorted wild analysis. Here's my question. Uh, if the if the episode didn't have the bizarro presidential timeline aspect to it, does that fundamentally change your perception of this episode? No. Um, no. But it helped to clarify what was going on in the episode because... 
the ego is still such a big part of who Dice is and a huge part of the show. Um, it might be getting in the way of the show. But so the idea a, that he'd that he he could even that his one of his assumptions that if he'd not done what he did mm. was that Hillary Clinton would have been president, and he acknowledges this as much as he can as yeah, it's a good thing that that would be better. That's what I, I wonder. I wonder if you can. I wonder if it's possible to sort of preserve that meta aspect and sort of tone down the ambition. Because I, I wonder if 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 if. if in this particular instance, if the problem isn't the fact that it's self-referential, self-aware, but that its its story scope is just too big, even if you, even if it's just based on on his life, that that, that maybe there's a lot, there maybe there's a sense of specificity that's not there. That yeah. that like you know you mentioned Louis, you know some of these other shows that are that are are self-aware like this are are great and are entertaining because. It uses events from these people's lives to inform a certain sense of specificity that that leads to better comedy, leads to better storytelling, leads to a better sense of character. Yes, and and an important distinguishment to make both in what I was saying and in that presentation of things is that Louis I don't see as as meta as a lot of these other shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, Louis is a storyteller. He's telling, he's using his life and his experiences and and you know what he's most familiar with to kind of shade these stories and create these stories. And some of them are obviously inspired by real life things, but that's not meant to be the only takeaway dice is not interested in those little stories so like what you're saying in the lack of specificity is a is a big part of it so maybe curb is a better comp than curb also tells stories though like i'm not saying dice doesn't tell stories but the narrative arcs of curb are easily distinguishable um the the moral lessons of curb are easily distinguishable um this is really asking you to judge dice in a weird way uh as opposed to, like on Curb, you can look at Larry David and be like, God, Larry, you're exhausting. I can't handle this. But you are meant to empathize with him to some degree. I don't think you're meant to... I think at times you're meant to empathize with Dice, but it's just... There's a lot going on. I don't know. You're you're 100% on target saying that there's a lack of specificity and it would be bolstered by more specific goals for what they're discussing i mean this sounds fairly similar to my memories of season one where it was like in in a slightly more sophisticated in slightly more sophisticated hands this could be something really extraordinary i think if he was yeah if if he was willing to insert the therapist into the show not literally but if he was willing to take that role away from the audience i think it might be better like it would it would lose an aspect of it would lose a new aspect of of the meta nature of the show, but I, I think it is a stronger program if you have that commentary inserted yourself. Well, I think like it kind of seems like, and maybe this is supposed. To, is Natasha Leggero still on the show? Yeah, cool. Like her a lot. Um, I mean, if, I thinking back on Louis, I think Pamela Adlon added a lot of that kind of voice to it. Like she think like ah, God, there's even that one mo- moment. I think from uh, was it the final, the last season? Where uh, like Louis about to trip into some sort of black and white, you know, flashback, and she like pulls him out of it. It's like no, 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 that dumb, none of that dumb shit here or something. Um, it's been a while since I watched it, but I recall that moment. And like I feel like it does like having. It's not enough to like poke fun at yourself. You have to have someone actively like calling someone on their shit. I don't know if that's it, but. It sounds like it, it doesn't sound like Natasha Leggero's character really does that, even though she's probably p- perfectly positioned to do so. 
Yeah, she does it in a limited regard. There's a there's an arc in that first episode again where it's his kind of resolution is I'm not I, I'm taking you for granted a little bit. Like I'm taking her character, his wife, for granted a little bit, uh, and that's one of the things that he comes out of from the "It's a Wonderful Life," whatever the fuck. Right. Um, but I think in regard to what you're saying is, yeah, it, it would be helpful if somebody was there to poke back or if he was better at poking himself. It's more of like he's taking on a burden and he feels a burden. And that is a weird thing for this show to focus on. Um, but he, I don't think he knows what to do with it. He can't drop it. He, he's not He's not ready to let it go. And that's why I'm curious to see if the season pulls it. It's one of those things where it's like maybe this is just it's six episodes, it's three hours, like maybe it's going to unfold over the oh, the whole course and you'll kind of see the bigger picture once you get to the end of it. Um, but so, you're, so you're saying it's like a three-hour movie? <laughs> oh, you get right the hell out of here. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, three-hour movies, that's, that's standard. Uh, There's enough of those. It's not like it's 10. It's not like it's uh, 18. Uh, I hate you all. Um, by so you all, I mean Ben point. and Steve. Uh, in case you, we should really, the next podcast should probably be just about our hatred of the term, a blank hour movie, just be, or my hatred of it anyway, because I've officially gotten burned out. You need, everyone needs to stop saying it. No one's allowed to say it anymore. I think Lynch can say it. David Lynch is allowed to say it. Because he means it. <laughs> like a yeah, really. Yeah. No, David Lynch is allowed to say it. Way. End of the list. Right. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, Ben. Shit. Do you feel like you have? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little lead up. But do you feel like you have talked out because you really wanted to talk out some dice issues? Do you feel like you've gotten a little more perspective on what you're trying to say with it? Sure. <laughs> no, I appreciate uh, I appreciate listening and the feedback has been very good. Uh, I will now write my review, which will go up before this podcast, and hopefully it will be a little more coherent. And I apologize to the audience who absolutely does not give a shit about dice. Um, both the show or the person, because I'm I mean, sure there's many of you. Yep. Yeah. I think it all started when I dared you to interview him at TCA's. Fact. Yep. He was a good interview, too. Like, that's the thing. other thing about Dice. Like, it wasn't one of those interviews where you're like, man, I feel so close to you and I'm bonded and I have whatever pals or, like, I, but he was, I'm rooting for you now. It was just, like, he was pretty frank in his answers, and it's like, that's good. So, that's all you want, really. Amen. But more importantly, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Great question, Liz. Um, I think the best thing I watched last week was Halt and Catch Fire. Mm. And I can't remember if I said that was the best thing I watched the week before, if that was what I was looking forward to. I think I said it was what I was looking forward to. Okay. Um, But I will give an extra shout-out to a show that's airing on Saturday nights on AMC for its final season. Um, And if you did not see – if you've never seen it, fair enough. But it's on Netflix. Um, I would encourage everybody to to try out the end of season three. The end of season three is really powerful stuff. If you started, if you just start in season three, you're probably okay. Season two is also great. The end of season one is really strong. The start of season, there's just some middle stuff in season one. It's a great show, but it's it's designed for certain people. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very impressed with what they're doing with time in the fourth season, and I will stand by that as the best thing I've seen. I apologize if I've already talked about it. No, I think you ta- I, did, I think you did say it was the thing you were looking forward to. Great. Steve, what was the best thing you saw on television last week? Uh, best thing I saw on TV last week, actually didn't air last week, but I did see it 
in the past week, so I think that still qualifies. Yep. Uh, follow nope. me. O- follow me over to True TV Corner, won't you? Uh, <laughs> uh, Hold on, I'm getting lost. Where is it? I gotta. There's yeah. so many channels and I shows. I need to find. And... Where is it? Hit, hit the search button. Then hit the search button. No. <laughs> Uh, true TV show called Those Who Can't. Uh, I I really like this show not just because uh, it's funny, but because it has a bunch of different kinds of humor. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, the main cast are three uh, staff members, three teachers at a at a high school uh, in Denver. Um, the the fourth member of the main cast is the librarian at the school, and they get into weekly. Uh, messes at the school they they there's infighting there's making fun of the principal it's it's, it's a very funny show uh they did an episode last season uh also election themed um but without a whole bunch of meta layers meta narratives uh from a from a pure writing standpoint joke delivery standpoint uh joke complexity standpoint very very funny uh i think it's the 11th episode of season two would definitely recommend people go see it if you're interested in seeing what the show is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, without saying too much about what's to come in season three, I'm very, uh, very much looking forward to when that show comes back. Cool. Yeah. So Liz, what was the best thing you saw on TV last week? Best thing I saw on TV last week, I'm just going to call out one scene from The Defenders. Um, it is the scene where Jessica drinks a beer. If you've seen The Defenders, you will know what scene I'm talking about, but it made me really happy. Um, and uh, the actual best thing I saw last week was um, this one sketch that I included at the end of a very long piece um, from Late Night with Seth Meyers uh, featuring Amber Ruffin. It's called Amber Safe Space. It is a really smart, really thoughtful, really funny, but also very you know sober commentary on just what black America is feeling right now. And I feel like it's the kind of thing that shows like shows in the late night space should be doing should be amplifying and it was really exciting to see that happen and, and if you like the uh the ongoing joke from the good place about not being able to curse in the good place there's a fun little twist on this in that one as well oh yeah that's a good point uh ben what's the next thing you're looking forward to uh this is the point in the year when i start reminding everyone to watch you're the worst <laughs> uh you're the worst season four kicks off september 6th I think early September on FXX. Um, it's a great show, you guys. I mean, it, it has been all along. I have, I see no reason. I up oh, Steve looked it up. It is September sixth. Um, there's no reason it's going to stop. And from what I've been told and what I've seen of of the new season, it's it's quite excellent. So I'm looking forward to seeing much much more. And I will be reminding you regularly, both on this podcast and in person, and through the website and on Twitter. Um, yeah, I'm going to be real annoying about it. So As well you're welcome. Uh, but Steve, what in the world are you looking forward to next? Uh, you stole mine. Um, Great. I was, I was going to say the same thing. Twofer. Aha. Um, but in the spirit of, uh, of recommending shows that are on right now, uh, the, the actual season finale isn't until I think two weeks from now. Um, but I'm really enjoying the bold type on Freeform. I need to watch that. And, uh, and, and I, I think it's really interesting what they're doing uh, with, with sort of setting the show at a, at a magazine and what they're giving each of their characters to do on a week-to-week basis. Uh, it's, it's, it's a show about millennials that's not super condescending, that's not sort of saying, oh, look at you guys trying to save the world. Like, you, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Uh, it really gives consequences to their actions. 
and uh, and lets them sort of make mistakes and learn from it. And I really like it, and I think everybody should watch it. Cool. Liz, what are you looking forward to? Well, I'm cheating here because as I as as you as you listen to this, I will have already done this. But uh, Narcos is coming back. <laughs> Gotta watch Narcos. But it does sound like they've done some things to the show that make me want to watch Narcos. To be clear, you don't have to watch Narcos, dear listeners, but Liz does. So. I do, yes. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing how the show's evolved. Like, basically, now the season season three is, has uh, shed itself of a couple of key elements, including Pedro, uh, not uh, not Pedro Pascal. <laughs> it is, in fact, amplified Pedro Pascal, but it has shed. It's no longer about... Um, uh, Pablo Escobar. Thank you. Spoiler alert. Yeah. He died. Yeah, he is no longer alive. If you tried to go to Colombia today to meet Pedro, <laughs> Pablo, Pablo Escobar, Escobar. Um, guys, when I was writing my season two review, I got real scared that I was going to screw that up, and I did not. But there was some, maybe some, very thorough checking involved. Command F, Command F, Command F. Yes. Anyways, point is, Escobar's dead. New drug lords are involved. Some of them are played by familiar faces, like the guy from Broad City and the guy from Sensate, and then Pedro Pascal is there, and everything is good. So I'm hoping that I'll enjoy the experience, but we'll find out. Uh, you will find out on anywhere.com uh, where that review will be posted, along with other news, reviews, interviews, features, that sort of thing. Make sure you listen to the other IndieWire podcasts as well, including Turn It On podcast with our own Michael Schneider. Screen Talk with Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn, and of course, the great Chris O'Fault hosting the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. That's it. And yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> thank you so much to Steve for being on the, the show with us. Thanks, you, Steve. Yeah. You can find Steve on Twitter at Steve Bruin. Go Bruins. <laughs> and you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E. Correct. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, you guys, keep watching television. Mm-hmm.